0: Holy Potluck. Potluck. Potluck I'm Brian Hu I'm Ada Singh
1: And welcome to Saturday School
0: When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons You're being forced to learn Asian American pop culture history Hi everyone, welcome back to Saturday School. This season, we're talking about films about Asian Americans in Asia. And for today's episode, we're talking about the 2005 film Cavite, directed by Neil De La Lana and Ian Gamazan.
1: At that time, it made a huge splash. It won like an Independent Spirit Award for someone to watch.
0: It was celebrated for its guerrilla style filmmaking.
1: But when you hear Guerrilla Style, it feels like it's such a impoverished and like spare kind of movie. But this movie is real over the top in its staging of action and of suspense and of its particular thriller conceit, which... You want to go into?
0: Yeah, I think it really feels like a documentary. Yeah, Ian is also the star of the movie. The basic premise is that you have this Muslim Filipino man from San Diego, California. He works in security. The rest of his family is still in the Philippines and he has to go back to the Philippines to attend his father's funeral. But when he gets there, suddenly, <laughs> how should I even describe it?
1: Mom, it's me. I'm at the airport. Where are you? Hello? What the fuck is going on here? He finds a envelope in his luggage that wasn't there before because the phone in there is ringing.
0: And suddenly it becomes a hostage situation. Right. This man on the other end of the phone has his mother and sister and will kill them if he doesn't follow everything he says but this whole movie is basically following him the entire time he's like the only star of the movie if you look at the credits it's like him and then everyone else is like the boy who stole his luggage <laughs>
1: or like there are very few shots in the movie that he's not in. yeah like not even scenes in the movie like very few shots in the movie that he says he's not in and it
0: feels like it's shot by one person following him you see him go from san diego and then travel to the philippines make a stopover in taipei
1: not only does it sometimes seem like there's only two of them on the set according to the director commentary so they just flew to Manila by way of Taipei and they just shot on their own flight out to their sets yeah
0: that's what it seemed like
1: <laughs> yeah, it totally is because at some point Ian said that at 3am on the flight to Taipei he just kind of woke up in the middle of the night and just started turning the camera on himself and just started filming himself <laughs> Like that scene in the bathroom on the plane, he just filmed himself there. You can only fit one person in a lavatory anyways. He he just him into the camera. So sometimes it's not even two people on the set. It's just one person filming himself. So that's the kind of guerrilla energy and inspiration that we're talking about here. A
0: lot of the movie is basically he has an earpiece and the guy who's holding him hostage is directing him to go all these places. So he's like going in and out of these alleyways. He's like crossing busy streets, going through market areas, and they're just walking through. I mean, these aren't extras. These are just people. (laughs) that are like in the Philippines going about their day yeah
1: the suspension of disbelief part of the is that the person who's on the other end of the line can always see him yeah so no matter what he's doing the guy on the phone is like ah don't do that like I saw that you did that I saw you grab a knife (laughs) so it's this big adventure and as any suspense film like this could be a Liam Neeson kind of scenario we just sort of follow through it and it works very well as a thriller yeah but I think what's interesting to us for the purposes of our season on Asian Americans in Asia is what kind of gaze do we get upon? the Philippines and what kind of experience specifically does Ayan's character Adam have when he arrives? Yeah, yeah. How does that translate into a kind of suspense? Adam has a Westerner's perspective on the Philippines and constantly the camera seems obsessed with looking at the filth of the Philippines like how gross it is how smelly it is the shots of a kid peeing just in the middle of nowhere and so it could easily fall into that kind of a um, poverty porn type of gaze upon the Philippines but I think well, yeah what you're talking about is the fact that the guy on the phone takes him through it kind of forces him into all these places as a way to pick on him for being an overseas Filipino person
0: for the purposes of the thriller it's you used as a scary foreign place that he has to quickly navigate. And not even navigate himself, but, you know, it's a lot of, like, turn left, turn right. No, don't go that way. Watch out. Be careful, (laughs) you know? And, like, he'll say, go to this place. And even, like, Cavite, right? We're going to Cavite. I don't know where that is. Even though um, it's a pretty important historical reference for the Philippines.
1: Cavite holds, like, a pretty substantial position in the kind of imagination of the Filipino nation.
0: It's basically like where the Philippine Declaration of Independence happened. But yeah, but as a Philippine-American, he doesn't even know
1: where this place is.
0: The hostage guy on the line will say stuff like, don't be scared. These are your countrymen. <laughs> you know? and It comes off
1: as a specific kind of taunt that would be different if this was a white guy going to the Philippines. Yeah. This is sort of like, you should know better. And because you don't, yeah, this is scary, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and just to give people a sense, the guy on the phone is mostly talking in Tagalog. Yes, yes, I
1: understand.
0: Ian's character Adam can understand it, but he's not comfortable speaking it, so he's always responding in English. So I think that will be a very familiar scenario for Asian Americans specifically.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's cool, like for us to watch. I think we know that anxiety. And it translates really well. Like, like sometimes the guy on the phone is literally there just to make fun of him. Like, he says, go to the stand and buy a balut. And he's like, what's a balut? And he opens it up, and there's this egg that has the shape of the bird in there. And it has nothing to do with the story. It's just there to make fun of him. Yeah. <laughs> so it does kind of have, like, an ethnographic vibe to it in that it's also, like, a tour of the Philippines for an outsider. I guess in some ways that helps a non-Filipino audience member better navigate this world as well. So certainly, like I don't think this movie would have been made by somebody who was local. Yeah,
0: definitely. But interestingly, originally when they wrote the script, they had written it for a female lead and it was because all the actresses they wanted to cast didn't end up working out. So that's when Neil suggested that Ian be the lead. So it was kind of interesting. I was reading a story, uh, an interview they gave and Ian was saying that he just took some acting classes so he could of get that perspective as a filmmaker but he never thought he would actually use it in a movie <laughs> yeah
1: well that's actually interesting because by changing it to a male character in the lead they were able to inject a lot of i wouldn't go as far as say commentary but the guy who's on the phone is pretty homophobic and constantly refers to adam by homophobic slurs and that also becomes a way of like demasculinizing the filipino-american in relation to the philippines it's sort of like you're not man enough to understand the philippines so that also enters into the dynamic of that anxiety of like do I fit here? And then how do I become otherized and how do I become marginalized and reduced uh, in terms of, like, my belonging here? That's where we differ. I will pull to get Mindanao back to our people, even if it meets behind I was also thinking about this while watching it in comparison with Refugee previously on this season mm-hmm. and how the sort of home video aesthetic becomes a natural way for an Asian-American outsider going into Asia to film. And we're all familiar with, like, home videos of visiting other countries, like vacation videos. And it also might speak to the fact that, you know, it's expensive to get, get, like, an actual film crew out there. Or that you just don't know local film crews. So you only end up having the sort of technology you have as if you were a tourist. And and Cavite looks straight up like a home video.
0: Totally. But that's what makes it feel really real, I think. Because they... Pull it off.
1: Yeah, they totally do.
0: And it feels like he's actually being held hostage.
1: <laughs> and yeah, like you said, like it's also because you're looking around and there are all these people in the background yeah. and you know that they don't realize the movie being shot. I'm sure that's also because the camera was very small and there were very few people who looked like they were making a movie.
0: One of the things I thought was interesting about the film was that when you read the descriptions... A lot of the reviews will mention that he's being taken hostage by a Muslim extremist group that's associated with Abu Sayyaf, which was a Filipino extremist group that was in the news a lot at the time. But I didn't see a lot of people mentioning that he himself was Muslim, which I think makes it a lot more interesting Because when I was revisiting it, I I didn't remember any of this. So I was thinking, oh, it's going to feel really dated and problematic if it's really a thriller where we're scared of Muslims. But when we realized that his family is Muslim as well, I feel like that makes the entire story a lot more interesting because it's about how you reconcile your own faith or lack thereof with extremist groups and bombings that are making news. And it seemed to be asking people to think about faith in a more nuanced way.
1: I think it has like a certain rip from the headlines quality to it It's post 9-11 that the idea of a Muslim terrorist bombings are in the news. But what they're able to do is kind of recontextualize that in a Filipino setting that we don't normally associate with those headlines. It's nice to see it recontextualized in a way that could potentially be meaningful. Yeah,
0: definitely. And it reminded me of other films about Filipino Americans going back to Philippines, like Ron Morales's Santa Mesa, which follows a kid from America going back to Philippines for the first time. Ron Morales made another movie called Graceland, which isn't about an Asian-American going back to Asia, but he's an Asian-American making a movie in the Philippines. And that's a really great thriller.
1: It's <laughs> a great movie. Ron Morales brings certain kinds of American thriller chops into making a film set in the Philippines. I mean, I've seen a lot of thrillers made by local Filipino directors, and they're not always as versed in Hollywood storytelling. I think the exception to that is Eric Mati, whose work is fantastically over-the-top Hollywood sometimes. But otherwise, yeah, it's like when Graceland came out, it was like, wow, this is is possible too in the Philippines.
0: It's sort of like Cavite is your super-duper indie, low-budget thriller, and then Graceland is... It's not big-budget, but it kind of looks like it is.
1: Because it feels real slick, like, like everything is exactly where it needs to be. Yeah, yeah. But with both of these films, you do sense that, you know, Filipino Americans are still um, the subjects they choose to find in the Philippines to create a sense of suspense are still ones of like a certain seediness in the Philippines that there are inherent social problems that fuel the suspense. So so maybe some, that that does become a way in in for Filipino American directors. I think another example of this, it's not a thriller, but um the film The Mountain Thief, 2010, directed by Jerry Balasta, and this is a drama of like kids and families who live in the trash dumps of the Philippines, and it's kind of classic poverty porn. It's really like having us dive headfirst into all the things that make the Philippines look kind of horrifying, but also like you know the powerful stories of people making the most of their situations. But yeah, again, it still starts from this perspective of someone in America going to the Philippines and kind of seeing it negatively. Yeah. yeah. Because like sometimes for an outsider, that, that often is the first thing you notice, for better or worse. So that also might speak to a lack of experience in the Philippines. I mean, it's kind of like Slumdog Millionaire, right? Yeah, but Slumdog Millionaire is like truly... That feels more like a true outsider who's always wanted to make a Bollywood movie and only knows certain ways to do that. And I don't feel the personal connection as much with Slumdog Millionaire. It's like, I just want to create a fun fantasy in India. Whereas at least Cavite um, and Graceland, these feel really lived in. Like, you feel like these filmmakers, even if they don't have a direct connection to their subjects, like, you feel like they have lived there. This is translating a certain kind of visceral experience, as opposed to, like, trying to interpret it based on one's own idea of, like, happy endings and stuff. You
0: like that. feel like there's a difference between an Asian-American as a foreigner versus a white guy as a foreigner.
1: Right. It doesn't mean one's necessarily better than the other. But we should just acknowledge that these are different perspectives. Yeah, yeah. So Cavite isn't too hard to find. It was released by Magnolia here in the U.S., which is a pretty prominent indie distributor. So it's available on streaming. Like, you can get it on iTunes, Amazon, Prime.
0: Yeah, so you don't have to go to your college library to watch it like some of the other films we cover. (laughs) So there's no (laughs) excuse.
1: (laughs) And it's just a solid thriller. And it's very... um, imaginative about like how you can concoct really elaborate adventures for a character with seemingly very little
0: yeah i would think that if i was a filmmaker with now a lot of money it would be kind of inspirational saturday school is a proud member of potluck a collective of podcasts that features stories of voices from the asian american community it's produced by me and Brian. Our theme song is courtesy of Rimsky Music and Premium Beat. Check out our website at SaturdaySchoolPodcast where you can find lecture notes and links to all the films we covered. Or you can tweet us. I'm at Ada Singh, A D A T S E N G. Brian's at Who's Brian, H U S B R I A N. And our podcast handle is Wake Up Sat School. Next week, your assignment is to watch the 2011 documentary Big in Bollywood about the actor Omi Vaidya. Class dismissed.